Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Aggieville Alley Cats podcast. We're come rain, shine, or anything in between. We're here to deliver to you the Kansas State sporting news that you so love. I'm Ace Edwards, right alongside Connor Balthazar. And welcome to this week's weekly recap, where we're just going to cover football recruiting and, I guess, anti-recruiting, however you want to classify people declaring. Then men's and women's basketball, and then, of course, the wacky segment of the week with the bonus wacky news of the week, which I don't believe we've had since way before, like, episode 50, whenever the news about the airport was going on. Wait. What was even what was that? It was the... Lawrence. It was Lawrence and KU oh. trying to claim that they were a suburb of KC. Oh, that's right. Did we? I think it was just a normal wacky segment when we did uh, Mike Gundy. Oklahoma yeah, State football normal. coaching staff has spent a ridiculous amount of time in our wacky segments over the last <laughs> like year and a half. Well, it's because they keep being wacky. They, they keep doing wacky things. So, <laughs> what a well, wacky there, bunch. There's a there's a time and place for that. But we'll start off with the football in that football anti-recruiting people leaving from football. And there are two new names that have decided to declare for the NFL draft. And we'll start with the one that has the best chance of getting drafted in the first round. And that is a defensive end, Felix Anyadike Uzama, who declared earlier in the day that we are recording this. He actually declared while I was driving back to Manhattan. So I just kind of stopped for gas, checked Twitter, and I'm like, well, I guess he's declaring. Shame. But, like, I I get it. That's 100% one that I understand. Because he is, I don't, I'm not really sure that he would have raised his draft stock immensely, because he's already a first or second round guy. Yeah. I'm not it probably sure would have, coming back. It probably would have taken, like, a 12-sack season. To raise his draft stock, which that would have been setting the all-time K-State record, which K-State has had several all-time great pass rushers get like right up to like 11, 11 and a half, and then just not be able to like get over the hump and get to 12 or 12 and a half. So I'm not at all surprised by this. I don't think anybody is. I think even before the season started, we didn't really think he'd come back. I... Because he he's always been one of the highest NFL potential guys on the roster, so it makes total sense for him to declare. And I, I I've had him written off as a loss uh, all season, so this doesn't really change anything for me on the outlook going into next year. Uh, would have been cool if he came back, I guess, but that would have been an unfair expectation, an unrealistic one at that as well. So I wish him the best of luck. I'm only thing I'm surprised about is that he waited so long to announce. He maybe he honestly could have just like forgotten. <laughs> yeah, it's it's extremely possible. He's just like, oh, I forgot to announce this. Oh, uh, yeah, I'm going to the draft. <laughs> yeah, that, that 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 could be it. But I don't know. Yeah, he had a fantastic K-State career, so I I'm, I'm hopeful that he can get drafted in the first few rounds. Uh, should be especially meaningful for him since he's from Kansas City. Yeah, I think that's uh, I. He's definitely going to go down as one of the the better K State defensive ends in K State history. He'll probably be up there with you know Jordan Willis and people of that that cut that same cloth. But it to me, I think he's probably more likely to be like a second round pick. I don't see him falling past the second, or at least not falling past the second by much. And I could see him in a way perhaps slipping into 
like maybe late first round talk, kind of how kind of the George Karloftis career or not the career arc, but the the draft talk arc where he entered, you know, the the off season for college football and draft season entered that as like, you know, the, oh, I'm, I'm going to be maybe a like day, like a day two pick. But then he worked his way up to getting drafted by the Chiefs, which that'd be cool. <laughs> I, I'd love Felix on the Chiefs, selfishly, but yeah. yeah, we'll see. Yep. So good luck to Felix. I hope he gets drafted very highly, and maybe Connor and I will be at the draft. Maybe depending on how schedules work out, we'll see. I mm-hmm. hope so. Yeah, that'd be awesome. But the next declaration is cornerback Echo Boido. Echo Island is declaring for the draft. And again, he was just an elite man cover corner. Sometimes zone instincts were a little bit iffy. But if an NFL team is looking for a sticky man corner, I think Echo is probably going to be that guy. And unfortunately, with how a lot of uh, a lot how a lot of NFL defenses are, a lot of them run like match coverages. So Echo may fall. He may end up being like an undrafted guy, maybe a late day three guy, just because he really is kind of, you know, with all respect to him, he's just kind of that he's a really, really good man cover corner. That's about where his skill set is. But I could see him getting drafted just late. Yeah, I, I think that's probably right. He He's definitely a late round pick potential or a, more than likely he's going to be a UDFA, I think. I I had some hope that he would come back, but he's been around the program for a while, so I didn't have the ex- expectation that he would. I just was kind of quietly crossing my fingers and hoping that he'd come back. But I totally get why he's leaving, because he is an older guy. He was already a senior, so his only eligibility left was a COVID year. And we have a, a really good corner room for next year with Willie, Jacob Parrish, uh, Jordan Wright, Justice Clemens. Uh, Colby McAllister, et cetera, et cetera. There's so many guys yeah. uh, that will um, have a shot to be contributors out of that room. But yeah, I Echo has a great story uh, from being not even on the depth chart to a starter in just two weeks. And he, he's he been a starter ever since that OU game in 2020. And he had a great start to his career and he was consistent throughout pretty much his entire career. So I will miss Echo uh and julius as well declared a while ago i'm gonna miss both of those corners but best of luck to echo i'm looking forward to seeing what his 40 time is because he was generally considered to be like the fastest or one of the fastest players on the team so i'm hopeful that we can get a 40 time for him yeah uh it's it's also worth noting that i think felix is definitely a shoe in to get an invite to the combine echo He'll, he'll probably have to show up during pro days, kind of like how uh, Russ Yeast did last year. But that's technically the only news for new people that are leaving. I guess the only other thing that we could say is uh, the Hula Bowl. Adrian and Cade Warner were both were both invited to the Hula Bowl, which is kind of like uh, another all-star game for outgoing seniors to you know show their stuff. But, you know, best of luck to all of them. I... Maybe we'll do an episode whenever we're running low on content, <laughs> like ranking the like the draftability of everyone leaving. But that's everyone who has left the program. Now we can talk about people that are either staying or are new additions. And the first, well, I guess returning figure that I didn't expect 
is Philip Brooks. And he re- he declared that he was coming back to K-State to, you know, for one more year. So that's, you know, figured out punt returner. Cool. Awesome. But I think an underrated aspect of this is, you know, a lot of people are angsty about Philip Brooks because he does have a degree of inconsistency to his game. And by inconsistency, I mean he has seemingly one play a game where you're like, oh, Phil, you have to make that. But for every one of those plays, he has one play that's like, all right, no other or not no other receiver, but they're he was one of two receivers on the team that could make X play. So I I think that's a big part of it. That's why it's a big return. Plus, we don't have to. The the thing is, I think that if he didn't return, we ended we probably would have ended up kicking RJ into the slot, which I don't think is where his natural position is. I think he's a more natural Z receiver. Keegan Johnson's a more natural X. But you know, I it's big. It's it's sneaky big, which you know, I a lot of people were saying you know Philip Brooks kind of take it or leave it. I don't agree. I think that he's a a big like in a in a sense recruiting dub for this team. Yeah, I agree with you. Um I I did not expect Philip Brooks to come back. I honestly was happy to have him back this year and I kind of figured that would be it and next year would be like a transition year, but now Philip Brooks is kind of acting as the bridge between the old era of K-State receivers with Malik, Phil, and Cade into the new era with Keegan Johnson, RJ Garcia, uh and others so i i i'm i'm very happy he's coming back uh it figures out punt return uh for another year as well uh, unless we want to throw jacob Parrish back there or something like that i'd imagine he's probably still going to return punts though um and i i'm also happy um just because it i think it will probably allow us to rotate uh and basically have four starters at receiver uh, I, I think that we can rotate enough with probably Keegan Johnson and Phillip Brooks, RJ Garcia, and then maybe Jaden Jackson. Because, oh, right. Jaden Jackson's on this team. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Hey, he had two catches in the sugar bowl. You know, don't, don't forget about my man, Jaden Jackson, but, uh, I, I, I low key think, uh, Jaden Jackson's going to make a pretty significant impact. I say significant. He'll, he'll contribute, I think next year. And, I, I think Philip Brooks gives us a little bit more cushion uh, on the chance that RJ doesn't contribute in the way that we are hoping, or if Jaden doesn't step up. I do think Keegan stepping up regardless. Uh, and if no one else does, Philip Brooks is a safety blanket there where we know that we can get a, a probably 500 yards from Philip Brooks. Like we can count on 500 receiving yards from Philip Brooks at minimum. And if the passing game works and other guys start stepping up, we may see a little less if production goes down, we may see more if he gets opened up a little bit more, but I'm happy to have Philip Brooks back. Uh, and I definitely didn't see it coming. So that's a, a another, uh, uh, a surprise. It's a surprise to be sure, but a welcome one. <laughs> yeah. But the new addition is Trayshawn Ward, the running back transfer from Florida state. He was a three-star recruit who opted to walk on to Florida State because he was that was his dream school growing up. But he decided that he wanted to get a little more touches, be a, a more featured back. If you want, if you want the perfect example as to why this pickup is very exciting, go watch the Sugar, not the Sugar Bowl. Don't watch the Sugar Bowl again. That's not worth it. Watch the the 
was it the Orange Bowl against Florida State and Oklahoma? Uh, cheese it Bowl. Cheese it Bowl. The Cheese it Bowl. Watch that game, and you'll realize, oh wait a minute, this guy's different. Different. Like he's he's very good. Him and DJ Giddens next year is disgusting. Like that that running back room should not be allowed to exist. And yes, yeah. we will miss Deuce. We will miss Deuce because you know Deuce is a once in a generation type guy. That being said. Trey Sean Ward and DJ Giddens, I think, will give us similar rushing production. Maybe a little bit less receiving and less terrifying as an individual player. But in terms of production, I think that the two of them can produce something pretty comparable. Yeah. Trey Sean Ward is a really interesting uh, prospect. 24-7. Uh, he, they have him rated as a four-star transfer. Uh, I'm not really sure what goes into rating transfers because Keegan Johnson and Treshawn Ward are about the same, but Treshawn Ward has significantly more college production. I think maybe age goes into it as well because uh, Keegan Johnson's so young. I don't know. But 24-7 considers him a four-star transfer, which for our purposes, we will be peddling that propaganda. <laughs> so, And uh, yeah, it's, it's interesting that he walked on to Florida State despite having uh, multiple Power 5 offers. Uh, as I recall, he had at least an offer from Boston College mm-hmm. um, out of uh, um, out of high school, uh, Maryland, uh, Cincinnati, Louisville, Kentucky, Indiana. He did not have a Boston College. I just made that up. Okay. And uh, Minnesota, Mizzou, Nebraska, North Carolina, Oregon, Purdue, and Virginia Tech. Those are all the Power Fives that offered him. But he walked on to Florida State because that was his dream school. And I believe his dad played there. I saw one random post thrown out that said uh, that his dad was like in like Florida State's like Hall of Fame or Ring of Honor equivalent or something like that. I do not know if that was true, but uh, Trayshawn Ward. Why is his dream school then? Yeah, no. So he's probably rounded a lot, but they do have a crowded backfield there. And that's why he left because I think there was him and two other guys that were splitting carries. And he actually still had a really productive year. Uh, he had 95 rushing attempts for 628 yards and seven touchdowns. And then he had six catches for 19 yards, which is weird because the year prior, he had 21 catches for 185 yards and a touchdown. So he has shown that he can produce in the receiving game. And I really like him. He's got great vision. He's really shifty. Uh, and really the only thing that I think he's truly lacking is top end speed. And because he's not super fast, but he is um, a really good accelerator and he's got good burst. Uh, he, he reaches his top speed quick. His top speed just isn't that fantastic, but that's okay because he he's making do with what he has. Um, and he was, he drew a lot of interest in the portal as well. Uh, I've heard uh, schools like Auburn uh, thrown around uh, for schools that were interested in him, but it seems like he zeroed in on K-State really quickly. Um, and I, I don't know how many years of eligibility he has left either one or two. Um, but two, I think, I, I think that you're probably right, but he, uh, I think he did miss a few games this year as well, uh, with, uh, injury. Um, just a handful though, but yeah, his, uh, best performance was definitely the, uh, uh, the cheese at bowl, uh, 10 carries. 81 yards, two touchdowns uh, against OU. So really nice performance there. But I really like Treshawn Ward. I, I, I'm i very happy that we're going to have him to probably be 1A, 1B with DJ Giddens. Yeah. 
And both of them are more complete backs than they're probably given credit for. I mean, Treshawn Ward is probably the shiftier of the two. DJ Giddens is the more bruising of the two, mostly because I heard exactly one person get trucked by DJ Giddens and it sounded like someone got shot. So <laughs> take that for what you will. But yeah, yeah. Treshawn Ward's a very exciting addition because he is that complete back. So we have two amazing running backs. So it, every single addition that we make in the portal, like it, it makes it more likely that we makes it, it seem more likely that we're going to be the class of the big 12 for at least the near future, because we're, we're hitting so consistently in the transfer portal, even though we have pretty limited amount of scholarships to give. Now, you know, not counting NIL scholarships, which I'm still waiting for the day the NCAA says <laughs> that's not allowed. I'm waiting for the day that that happens. Yeah. I mean, I don't know how you regulate that because then it would just change to like an NIL deal for like some random thing that would happen to also equal the number of dollars that it would take to cover tuition. But, yeah. <laughs> so I don't know how they would regulate it, but I do. I do agree that. Trayshawn Ward and DJ Giddens both don't get enough credit for the level of complete back that they are, especially DJ Giddens, I think, because I think everybody assumes he's just a power back. And I don't think that's fair to him at all because he does way more than that. He has great hands uh, out of the backfield is a really great His route runner. Are huge. Yeah, he, he does have really big hands and he uh, uh, he's shiftier than you think. And he has fantastic vision and uh, he he just has really good instincts as well in the backfield. So there, there, there definitely needs to be more credit given to Giddens. And I honestly, I do think that this is a beneficial situation for both of them to split carries between the two of them, uh, just to lighten the load. Cause I think these are both guys that want to make it to the NFL. And I, I, I think that they're probably both aware as many running backs are aware that the more that you run, a running back into the ground, the less valuable they are to NFL franchises. So I, I'd imagine that they want to produce in college and do great things without, you know, arriving to the NFL as damaged goods. So this is a really good pickup in multiple ways. I am very excited to see what Trayshawn Ward can do. Yeah. Every single time we get an addition, I get more excited for the football preview episode in like half a year. <laughs> As do, I will have to start making a spreadsheet soon. Oh, not the spreadsheet. <laughs> well, you have to make one for realignment as well, because every yeah, summer we've had yeah, every summer realignment. Every summer since we've existed, there's been random realignment happening. So we'll see. Yeah. But that's all the football recruiting news, we'll say. And now we can move into men's basketball, who's quietly turned into one of the best teams in the country, or at least the hottest team in the country, with moving up to number 11 in the most recent AP poll. And it would have been top 10 if one guy didn't just chose to not put us on his belt. Yeah, and he was the only guy that did that, too. Yep. <laughs> like, it was like, one dude, one guy. Yeah, and... He was just like, yeah, really tough on missions here. And then you had KU fans in that guy's replies telling him that he was an idiot for not putting us in. I mean, I, I think that's that bad. says that's I think that bad. says like how ridiculous it was to do that. That KU fans were like, Are you kidding me? Like, did you actually watch? Like, <laughs> I don't know, man. Crazy. But, but yeah, the game that 
wait, we were ranked 11th after this this first game, right? Correct. We yeah. were unranked in this game. True. Which was up against Baylor. It was an overtime victory up against the Baylor Bears in Waco. Some a game that we didn't really give ourselves a chance in. Connor and I, <laughs> we didn't get much of a chance in the entire time. And Tang just said, "All right, hold my IPA," <laughs> and, and proceeded to just win in overtime here. And you know, uh, do you okay? So before we go, no, no. Do you want starters or bench players? I mean, that's. If you wanted starters, you shouldn't have asked because I want the starters. All right. You can take starters because I, I kind of want to take the the redemption arc we got. Okay. Well, that works out then. Yeah. So obviously leading the way in this game, uh, Marquise Noel, uh, as he has done for most of the season now, uh, especially as we've gotten into conference play and made our way further. Uh, Marquise Noel, he finishes with 32 points, 8 of 16 from the field, 4 of 7 from 3, made 12 of his 13 free throw attempts, had one rebound, four fouls, 14 assists to four turnovers. So another fantastic performance by Marquise Noel. Uh, I think he earned Big 12 Player of the Week. He did. Uh, I, he probably was National Player of the Week he as was. well. I can't recall. <laughs> he was. And now uh, yeah, he... He was incredible, uh, hitting big shot after big shot, had uh, multiple big threes, uh, had plenty of great assists. He had a fantastic assist late, which I'll, I'll let Ace talk about in his redemption arc. But <laughs> I mean, there's there's not much to be said about Marquise Noel at this point that hasn't already been said, uh, at least in regards to this game. But national media has really been taking uh, notice, I think, of K-State. We've been on Center a lot. Uh, our games are starting to become regular segments. Uh, we're in the top 10 every other game at this point. And uh, then uh, a lot of uh, national media podcasts and then college basketball pundits are really starting to take us into account. Marquise Noel is always at the top of the list when they're discussing guys, which is un, which is un, uh, I, I wouldn't say I expected that, I guess is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> I, I did. I expected Marquise to be, a slightly better version of what he was last year, which was an awesome distributor who'd make some head scratching plays. I, I didn't expect him to be a player of the year candidate. <laughs> yeah. Tang uh, mentioned in his uh, presser, I think after the Oklahoma state game uh, that he uh, just needed to let uh, Marquise be Marquise and let him play his game. And I, I think we can even probably, you could probably even mark the day that like, it happened because <laughs> Because it feels like about midway through the year, we started to see Marquise Snowell just start chucking half court threes at random and it actually work. (laughs) He just hits um, logo threes. Yeah. Since conference play has started, he's just been on absolute tear and uh, he he's been fantastic. He's been the engine that's kept this team running when he's off the floor. It's obvious uh, because the offense starts to sputter, uh, which is a little concerning. But it's also understandable because of what a great facilitator he is. But yeah, it, it's so interesting to me that he's taken the spotlight away from the next guy, which is Keontae Johnson. And it's not that Keontae Johnson isn't getting his share of the love and isn't getting media attention. It's just that Marquise is getting even more because of what incredible numbers he's been putting up. I mean, it's been mentioned over and over that Marquise is being compared to Trey Young, Steph Curry, John Morant statistically over this last stretch. But Keontae Johnson, he still really had a fantastic day in 42 minutes. 
he went 11 of 17 from the field, two of four from three, 24 points, nine rebounds, two fouls, two assists, three turnovers, a block, and a steal. And his greatest asset has been his ability to ISO and pretty much just get a shot. And if we need a bucket, we just give the ball to Keontae Johnson, isolate him on the far side of the court and just let him go to work on whoever has the misfortune of having to guard him because they won't. And he's, he's just been, he's been really, really good. Uh, he hit some deep threes himself. Uh, I think he had a lob at one point as well to start the game. I think unless I'm thinking of a different game or maybe it's happened multiple times. It's but, happened multiple times, but I don't think it happened in the Baylor game. You may, I think you're probably right. I, I I can't remember as well at this point because there's been another game since then. But <laughs> yeah, Keontae Johnson, uh, he he was really, really good in uh, this game as well. Rebounded really well too, getting nine rebounds. That's huge. Uh, but then moving on, Naquan Tomlin, uh, he quietly had a pretty solid day, but he did foul out though. Uh, had nine points, had a big three at one point in the game. Four of nine from the field, one of three from the three. Eight rebounds, he did foul out, two assists, one turnover, three blocks, and a steal. Uh, and then Cam Carter had seven points, uh, three of eight from the field, one of five from three, a rebound, four fouls, two assists, two turnovers. And rounding it out by Miagiola, uh, he got seven points on three of four from the field, one of two at the free throw line. He had six rebounds, four fouls, two assists, one turnover, one block, and one steal. I don't remember this many blocks happening in this game. Yeah, we're getting a ton of blocks registered uh, on the uh, stat line here. Yeah. And something that before we go into the bench players that we didn't mention is the refs were very quick with the whistle in this game. They were. Yeah. We, the Big 12 has been a little strange this year uh, because, like, I, I mean, you think back to the KU Texas Tech game where uh, the officials just did not call anything in that game. But then you move on to, uh, to pretty much the rest of the season in the Big 12 across all the other games, they have been calling everything in the other games, it feels like, which is, is weird. It's, it's a little inconsistent. Uh, even for, with, within games, it's very inconsistent yeah. at times. Officiating has seemed especially bad. And it's, you can tell it's bad because you're able to sit there and note calls that are like bad for the other team. Like by when your team is playing, like and it, it's when been like that, that point. That's awful. <laughs> yeah, it's been pretty rough, pretty much the entire season so far. It's been more noticeable than usual. Than usual, I don't know if it's actually different or if I'm just paying more attention, but it feels like it's worse. And I don't know. Maybe, maybe others feel differently. I, I'd love to hear, but I don't know. It it's not been great so far based on what my memory serves which granted my memory is very spotty at times but <laughs> i it, it's it's been pretty poor so far it seems yeah but now we can move on to the bench players and the the redemption story for the ages and that is ish masood who was three of four from both the field and three four of four on his free throw attempts only one foul and one turnover 13 total points and the shot that gave us the lead in overtime. And everyone has talked about this, but the moment the ball was dished out to Ish, Dish Masood, if you will, Ish Masood turned into Swish Masood, and we suddenly got the lead. And it's been talked about on nearly every show that we saw the ball get dished out to Ish by Marquise, 
And everyone just kind of flinched for a minute, like, oh, okay. Because Ish has the comp that I'm going to go with is he's kind of been the Davion Bradford of this year where he's just kind of the one player that everyone chooses to bully. Every single team has at least one. It doesn't matter the sport, but you know, I'm not going to say Ish has just been kind of the odd man out. Like he hasn't been bad. He's not been awful by any stretch of the imagination. Well, that's the difference between him and Bradford right there. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's fair. But you know, he's kind of been the the odd man out a lot, but he showed up in a big way this game, and we gave him the most important shot of the game, and he just nails it. <laughs> I I, I kind of lost my mind a little bit there, and he went three for four. All of his attempts were threes, and he made three of four of them. So that, you know, good job-ish. That That's all I can really, really say. It's That's amazing that he's... He's kind of tuned out the noise to where people were kind of dunking on him a lot. And, you know, he just said, okay, fine. I'll just hit the game winning three against Baylor and in Waco, whatever. (laughs) But yeah, yeah, he, he was fantastic. Um, One note on ish when that last three went through the net just barely moved. Yeah. And (laughs) I honestly thought he airballed at first. I did too. No, but I, I, that, that was just an incredible shot. Huge. Because I was in such a tough position as well. Because we were down two when he made that. I mean, that's a shot that a lot of K-State teams in the past, I don't think they make. They don't like, I don't think they even take it. Yeah. Like I like not a lot of K-State teams have been as clutch. I think that's something that's going unheralded right now. Is that this team is super clutch. Mm-hmm. Like the, this team has ice in its vein. And they've they've been absolutely fantastic all year in high pressure situations. Like they and they've been ready for them as well. So I think that's maybe the difference is this team in high pressure situations almost thrives, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they do, which is the opposite of last year. But yeah. then, yeah, Desi Sills, who had 28 minutes, one of four from the field, 0 of two from three, one of two on his free throws, four rebounds, two fouls, two assists, three total points. And Tyke Green played seven minutes, one of two from the field, three fouls, one block, one steal, two total points. So we ended up shooting 44% from three. That's allegedly, that's pretty good. <laughs> allegedly. Yes. It's very good. Yeah. Th- this was a, a massive victory because yeah. Baylor, you know, they're, they're, they're on a bit of a losing streak. At least when we played them, they haven't been the Baylor we're used to seeing that being said, they're still Baylor. <laughs> yeah. This is still a really good Baylor team. Keontae George is an incredible player for them. He's just a true freshman. Yeah, he was a five star, but still, um, even at that rate, you know, a lot of true freshmen still don't really figure it out as quickly as he has. He's averaging 17.8 a game. He just dropped 32 on West Virginia in a big win on the road. Uh, he he has been really good and he's been a problem. He dropped 22 on us, 27 on TCU. I mean, the guy is really good. And he's going to be an NBA guy next year because uh, he's just that talented. But luckily, we were able to do just enough uh, to hold him. Adam Flagler, um, he had a lot of points against us as well. But, I mean, Baylor just played a really good game as well. We were just a little bit better. The first half was super intense because there were so many lead changes. Mm-hmm. Like There was a good chunk of the first half where it it was pretty much just 
straight up back and forth, back and forth for almost the entire first half. Like there were 20 lead changes and eight ties in this game. So it was high stress from start to finish. But this team, this case, a team, they were, they were ready for the challenge. Drum Tang, he was able to kind of bury the uh, emotions during the game that he was surely feeling because of the uh, homecoming tour, but he was able to come out with a victory over his, uh, his old squad, which probably felt a little weird because I don't think he wants to you know, watch his, his uh, old coaching staff lose, but he's also got to win. So yeah, yeah he, he's got to get dubs. <laughs> yeah. yeah I, the Baylor game was a, Really big offensive showcase, as was the Texas game before it. Next game wasn't. <laughs> Next game was was much more defensive, and that was up against Oklahoma State in Bramlage, a sellout crowd. Carter, you can you can talk about the action now. Talk about the crowd just straight off the bat. Yeah, I uh, I did get to this game, and I I'm super happy that I did. I took advantage of that deal that they had for uh, GA extending into the student section. And it was a really good atmosphere, especially into the second half. And the further the game went along, the better the atmosphere got, which was encouraging. It seemed like people weren't quite sure what to do for a while, like with the noise. Like in the first half, it was very hit and miss. Uh, But overall, I'm kind of splitting hairs about it just because I do have those like old memories of the of the the doom crowds from like the Frank Martin era and like how loud it was. And really the only comparable crowds from my memory um, at K state were like KU 2019, maybe Oklahoma 2019. And that's a, that's it really. None of the crowds from 21 even got close uh, to how it was um, uh, against Oklahoma state. And I, I was pretty happy with it. Um, and it, it did get a lot better as it went. Um, only only notes is it just got to be more consistent throughout the game, probably like start loud, finish loud. But I mean, this is our first sellout in like four years. So I'm not going to like be upset that like no. people weren't 100%. I mean, like there's barely anybody on campus. <laughs> if anybody on campus that's actually like seen like a full capacity crowd at Bramlage and like, like actually seen like a doom crowd, like they, most of them don't know what that looks like. So uh, they're going to have to find their feet a little bit, but I'm, I, I was still really pleased with the crowd. They got really, it was really great at the end, especially on the Keontae dunk. It went absolutely nuts. Uh, I, I was like in stunned silence. Like, like I was doing like a surrender Cobra, like with like my hands on the back of my head with my mouth agape. Mm-hmm. Like I, I couldn't believe what I had just seen. And I, I, I was so happy uh, uh, with that. And yeah, the crowd was still good. Uh, the student section and that GA section was just completely packed to the brim. Uh, uh, the season ticket side, there, there were some empty spaces here and there. They weren't huge. Wasn't super surprising. Uh, I had hoped that they would get completely full, but it's not shocking because it was a 6 p.m. on a Tuesday and we only recently got ranked and like I've been on this winning streak. Yeah. So I get it. Uh, but I, I still really enjoyed it. I'm super happy that I went. If you get the time to go to a game, uh, if you have the opportunity to go to a game this year, you absolutely should. Cause this team is super fun. 
this game was slower, but that is more of an Oklahoma State thing, I think, than anything. <laughs> yeah. This Oklahoma State team is a lot like a Bruce Weber team if they were actually athletic, I think. And I and I was hoping that Musa Cisse being out for Oklahoma State would maybe help us a little bit, but it turns out they just have like 15 clones of Musa Cisse everywhere that are just like eight feet tall with like super long arms. I just block everything. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, Tyreek Smith, uh, number 23, he was a really good rim protector. He also was the guy that pushed Desi Sills into the ground and got like no call for it. So yeah. I do hate him, unfortunately, but he was unfortunately, a, but he, he was a really good rim protector. So I guess there's that, but yeah, this is, it was a super fun game. Uh, some of the most fun I've had at a, uh, K-State basketball game, the players and coaching staff were interacting with the crowd a lot, especially late. They were really trying to pump up the crowd and get everybody into it. And that helped a lot, especially late. Uh, and you can tell that the players and staff appreciated it. Uh, Tang was interacting with the crowd afterwards. So I, there, there's a ton of momentum behind this team right now. Yeah. I got the starters this time around. The first one is Marquise Noel. At 20 points on 38 minutes, 6 for 12 from the field, 5 of, <laughs> five of 10 from 3, including like 3 logo 3s and a heat check because he's Marquise Noel. He just does that. I I love watching him take uh, deep 3s at this point because he's like the only person on earth where I watch him take like a 30-foot 3 like a or whatever, however far he is away. I, I'm not good at gauging distance, but... Uh, he's the only person on earth that does that. And I just expect it to go in. Yeah. Like he's made more logo threes this year than I've ever seen anybody make in a season. Maybe I need to watch more closely, but I'm not even seeing anybody like attempt this many logo threes. Like people keep going out further to guard him because he's taking deep threes and he just goes further out and continues <laughs> to make the threes. Eventually he's just going to hit one from the opposite basket. <laughs> I would absolutely love that. Uh, one more shout out for Marquise. Uh, um, number five on Oklahoma State, Caleb Asbury was taunting Marquise a few times uh, and trying to like intimidate him defensively. So Marquise multiple times just pulled up in his face and drained a three from like really far away just to get him to shut up. And Marquise, I don't think there's anybody playing with more confidence like on the planet right now than Marquise Noel. He's earned and it. He's earned he has it. earned it. He has absolutely earned it. So sorry to hijack, but he can take his stats. It's all good. He also had five rebounds, three fouls, seven assists, four turnovers, two steals. Then KJ, Keontae Johnson, 36 minutes, five of 11, 0 of two from three, two of six on his free throw attempts. That was quietly really big and nerve wracking. Uh, Six total rebounds, two fouls, two assists, four turnovers, one block, 12 total points. And of course, the yam of that might be the dunk of the year. That and the Naquan dunk against, um, oh, well, which Naquan dunk is the question? <laughs> One of the Naquan dunks. <laughs> but you could, there were times on the broadcast, because I was unfortunately watching at home. Uh, you, there were time a few times on the broadcast where you couldn't hear the announcers speak. You couldn't hear anything except for just white noise whenever Keontae Johnson just slammed the oop. <laughs> and then KJ taunted them right back. <laughs> afterwards <laughs> yeah yeah and uh, kj at one point early in the game uh they uh somebody on oklahoma state like did like the thing where like they do like the you're too small 
like taunt where like they just put their hand really low to the ground. Like he got whoever it was, he got him back late in the game as well. So that was really satisfying. The, there was a lot of comeuppance for Oklahoma State late in this game, like <laughs> for Marquise Noel and Keontae Johnson, which was very funny that they they were able to get the last laugh there. But yeah, it was a very very satisfying game. And Keontae Johnson, he did have a bit of an off day offensively, but yeah. he. He still made it work and made some really good defensive stops as well. So he deserves a lot of credit for that. Yep. Then Naquan Tomlin had 31 minutes, 3 of 13 from the field, 0 of 3 from 3. It's still terrifying to see him try and almost get it. Uh, Seven rebounds, two fouls, one assist, one turnover, three blocks, six total points. Cam Carter, 22 minutes, 2 of 5 from the field, 2 of 3 from 3, including a really big momentum 3 to end the first half. Six total rebounds, two assists, two turnovers, six points. And then finally, Abayami Igiola had 16 minutes, 0-2 from the field, 4-4 on his free throws, seven rebounds, three fouls, three turnovers. He was not he was not himself. Normally, he's a pretty solid, you know, once you get him working towards the basket, he's pretty consistently going to score. He was off. He was off yeah. today. He missed uh, two big layups that he I, I won't even say he would normally make. I'd think anybody would normally make them. Yeah. Uh, but he also was super, super clutch at the free throw line late. He hit a huge one and one. So he was useful in multiple ways. Although he and Naquan Tomlin both, they were missing shots at the rim that they it normally really would and should make. And that's concerning. A stat that's been thrown around a lot is even though K-State and Oklahoma State were dead even and rebounding at 42 apiece. It felt like Oklahoma State won that rebounding battle because they had 16 second point second chance points and we didn't have a single second chance point. So we got 14 offensive rebounds and we did not get a single bucket from that, which is super unusual that you would get 14 offensive rebounds and not convert a single one of those into points. Uh, but yeah, Naquan Tomlin missed several tip-ins right at the rim by Mijiola and missed a few easy ones. Uh, and there were times Oklahoma State out-rebounded us, but there were times that we were out-rebounding them that ended up all evening out. But yeah, it was, this is a game that we missed a lot of tip-ins that we should have made. And they, we just were not quite getting them. Naquan Tomlin has a lot of work to do with his uh, post-game. Some of that is just going to be bulking up a little bit and getting a little stronger. Uh, but Hard to complain too much because this is the best defensive team in the Big 12 that we faced and one of the best rebounding teams in the country and probably the best shot blocking team in the country as well. So, yeah. And then Naquan Tomlin, shout out to him. He had a huge block uh, late in the game. I don't remember who of, but he he had a huge, huge, huge block late in the game uh, to stop what would have been a fairly easy layup, but he was able to and recover defensively and get a big time block. So uh shout out Naquan Tomlin for that. Yep. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah, and you get you get out of bench players this time. Yeah. So Desi Sills was the leader off the bench. Uh, he had eleven points on three of eight, shooting zero of two from three, and then five of six at the free throw line. He had three rebounds, one foul, two assists, one turnover, a block and two steals. He did his one turnover was a particularly bad turnover because he just made a bounce pass directly to the other team on a fast break 
And that was super frustrating. And I I was really, really annoyed with him. But he also played a pretty good game outside of that. Uh, he uh, had some nice rebounds. Five of six at the free throw line. A lot of those came late. Uh, still gets 11 points. Uh, did miss an easy one in the lane at one point. But he made a few difficult ones as well. And had some nice like pump fakes. Uh, to get guys in the air and then go around them. So Desi still still had a pretty solid day, all things considered, but he did have a few miscues that were pretty head-scratching, but he made up for it in other ways. Uh, then Ish Masood, 15 minutes, 2 of 7 from the field, 2 of 6 from 3, 2 rebounds, 2 steals, uh, and 6 points. Uh, shot pretty decently, um, had a few bad misses, but had some big makes. Hit a corner 3 in the second half, that was pretty big. And he um got two steals and something that's gone a little underappreciated for ish. The last two games is he's actually been playing really good defense. Uh, that, he was, I, I, I won't even say at times for a lot of the earlier parts of the season, he was a liability defensively and he has really turned up his work ethic and effort on the defensive side. And he deserves a lot of credit for that. And I think a lot of that, I think his defensive effort has been translating into more minutes for him. He, he was really good defensively against Oklahoma State, and that's a team that you do need to kind of match their energy on the defensive end because they keep the pace slow, try to keep the scoring slow. They have fantastic defense and limit uh, opportunities at the rim. So you have to play really good defense yourself against them. And speaking of good defenders, Tyke Green didn't do much at all offensively. In fact, he missed his one three-point attempt, had no points, one assist, but he took some charges and was huge defensively in just 11 minutes. Uh, Tyke Green was really, really big. He has definitely become a defensive role player uh, on this team, but he seems to be embracing that role a little bit more because uh, we there was a point in time where we didn't see him for a while, but he's been really good quietly. And uh, he, I, I really liked what we've seen from Tyke Green on the defensive side of the ball. I hope we continue to see that. He's still a little bit undersized in terms of height, but he makes up for it with really long arms. Uh, hopefully we can get him the scoring column a little bit more, but not the biggest deal if not. Uh, and we do need guys to uh, rotate in more uh, as long as David Gasson uh, is out with injury, which hopefully he's able to return soon and uh, get us a more reliable inside scorer. Yeah. Yeah, that we pretty much talked about everything that we needed to cover for this game. It was defensive battle. Crowd was good. You know, we... You know, we scored when we needed to. Yam. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The the dunk was so, so big, uh, especially Marquise Noel getting out of a, I think it was pretty much a triple team at the end mm-hmm. and throwing a lob and Keontae just goes up and gets it. There's nobody that's been on a K-State team in the last like four years that could go up and get that. Maybe Xavier Sneed, maybe, probably not Cardi Ajara, but uh, Keontae Johnson just huge 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 play i mean that's that's why you have to go out and get him and take a chance on a guy like that because he he makes season defining plays and that's going to be in a lot of case say highlight reels for a really long time is yep. that dunk uh i don't know if anything will ever take the place of the cardi dunk i hope something does but an only gripe uh with Keontae johnson's game really was uh that he didn't shoot from the free throw line very well he went two of six at the free throw line i uh, missed some big ones uh He's been pretty wishy-washy there. Some games he's great. 
at the free throw line other games he's been not so great at the free throw line so i'd like to see him improve there i guess i I feel bad nitpicking his game because he's really good but (laughs) but i mean i think he knows that too free throws are that's an easy thing to practice at least just shoot more free throws and (laughs) so it's not like some complicated thing that needs to figure out but yeah this was a great game great crowd to support a really good team um we've when while ranked 11th uh and the pressure wasn't too big for us despite being ranked which i was really happy about yeah which the next two games are big ones going up against tcu in fort worth then of course the manhattan leg of the sunflower showdown and if people were were saying it was loud during the the oklahoma state game i'm not sure that they'll be able to think at the the KU game yeah, the TCU game is going to be a tough one. Uh, Mike Miles is the guy there. Damian Ba is pretty good, too. Uh, but they're they're going to be a difficult matchup for us. They just lost to Texas. They blew like an 18-point lead uh, on Wednesday, but they're still a really dangerous team. And uh, I, I expect this to be probably another really close game. And then, yeah, we have to face KU. And KU is always a good team. And it's like the KU's of old, where it doesn't matter how big your lead is, they will find a way to voodoo magic a comeback, as Oklahoma figured out a few days ago when they blew a 10-point lead in like three minutes. And yep. so that's going to be a massive game uh, for uh, for this team. I I am hopeful. I'm optimistic. But it's a tough two-game stretch. Uh, for this team granted every game is tough in the big 12 but going on the road to tcu and coming home to face ku not an enviable position no. that's the men's team now we can talk about the women's team starting out and unfortunately they don't have as much good news first one was a loss up against the west virginia mountainettes in bramlage 77 to 70 this was just this was insanely frustrating as a game. Both of these losses were, but West Virginia's okay. West Virginia is not an atrocious team. They're not even really bad, but this is not a game that we should have lost, especially at home. Like we just were like, we weren't shooting particularly well. We worked. It was the anti-clutch Jeff Mitty that we've seen recently. And it's just absurdly frustrating to see. Yeah, yeah. The, this team has definitely gotten a little frustrating, but um, I don't know. That's that's how a lot of KC women's basketball teams have been recently. It seems like they kind of start to lose their legs once we hit conference play. Uh, I mean, they did not shoot well from three at all. We've seen that story before. Uh, Jalen Glenn had a double-double, but yeah, I think Gabby Gregory puts up 26 and has a really good game. Serena Sundell has eight assists with 14 points. So, I mean, there were good performers on this team, but Sarah Shamansi had an off night. Uh, Emily Ebert was solid, but nobody else stepped up. Dollinger didn't have a great game. Waterbach didn't have a great game. Uh, Moffat only played nine minutes and didn't get a shot attempt off. Uh, and Greer only plays one minute. And defense just could not figure it out. West Virginia shoots 46% from the field. Um Free throw rates were exactly the same, other than, of course, West Virginia shoots a lot at the very end of the game. 
but yeah, we just we we just couldn't figure it out against this West Virginia team. This was a game that we needed to win, I think, and just could not put it away. Really frustrating to watch. I don't have a lot to say about it because I don't really want to talk about it. Yeah, this moved us to one and two in conference play with our only victory being up against Oklahoma State. And then the, you know, like, you know, we'll give we'll give some credit to the standout performances. You know, Gabby Gregory stills Gabby Gregory. She got 26, like you said earlier, but uh, Jalen Glenn going 0 of 7 from three, despite getting a double double. That's that's not acceptable. <laughs> yeah, that's not very efficient at all. Just 312 from the field. Maybe for free throw attempts, but gotta do better than that. Three steals is good, but uh, outside shooting is just so spotty for this team. And it's not just that they're not getting good threes. They're getting open threes and just not really hitting with any consistency no. from game to game. It just varies wildly. And for a team that really likes to shoot threes, like Hey state, you need to be hitting at a better rate than 23.3%. At this point, it seems like our offense has become volume shooting and it, it's not really working um, in our favor. But, at this point, I would take one in three of our three attempts. I would accept that. Thirty-three <laughs> percent on a nightly basis would be an improvement right now for this team. I think, at least in conference play, it feels like that. I don't know for sure, but we have been on a bit of a cold stretch. Yeah. Then the more recent of the two games, which is up against Iowa State in Ames. This was a game I didn't really expect us to win, but we kept it close, which arguably makes it more painful. That was a 67 to 56 loss to the Iowa State Cyclones. It's ranked 14th and 15th, uh, 14th or 15th, don't remember which, in the country. And this was another night where, goodness gracious, we we can't hit a three. We can't. Granted, they were having a little bit of issues hitting their threes as well, which is weird for an Iowa State squad. But we just couldn't hit our threes, and we didn't have any of our consistent scorers get into double digits that yeah no we're not going to win like that yeah only Jalen Glenn makes it to double digits she gets a uh double double uh 17 points 10 rebounds shot pretty efficiently from the field honestly five of ten four seven from three but other than that Gabby Gregory had a really poor night uh Iowa State had a planned defender and it completely worked she just was completely just destroyed in the post uh Serena Sundell um, was okay in this game. Uh, stuffed the stat sheet, but had a few too many turnovers and didn't shoot the best. Um, but yeah, we, other than Jalen Glenn, we did not shoot well from three. Um, Emily Ever 04, Sarah Shamazi 05, Gabby Gregory 1 of 5, uh, 1 of 3 for Briley Glenn. Um, but and yeah, that's really about it, honestly, for notable stuff. Watching this game was super frustrating because. We were playing the game, I think. We were trying to beat Iowa State at their own game. It seemed like by just shooting a lot of threes and trying to do it better than they do. And of course, that didn't work because Iowa State is just a better team and they're better at shooting. And they uh, they shot marginally better. Uh, they got to the free throw line just a little bit more and they made some easy shots after opening up the middle um, we ran zone most of the game and we're, we were kind of just banking on the missing threes, which did happen, 
but I, I don't think that's like a long-term strategy for success against an Iowa state women's basketball team. No. Cause this team, like you, you can't bank on Ashley Jones going three of 11 from three. Like that's just not sustainable. I, I, I honestly, I would say probably should have reached 80 in this game. And it, it, it didn't feel so much like we were hanging around as they were letting us hang around because uh, they were playing really sloppily. And we were just playing right into that and playing sloppy as well. But they ended up winning uh, because they're just a, a bit more talented, I think. And this was a frustrating game. Uh, just didn't think the offensive game plan was really the right idea. The defensive game plan was interesting. I guess I see what he's trying to do, but I... I don't know. I, I'm very frustrated. This team doesn't have a better inside option. Sarah Shamazi had a few reverse layups, which was nice, but there, there's just not a post presence on this team. Taylor Lauterbach didn't even step on the floor in this game. And which makes sense because I just, she wouldn't have been able to defend at the perimeter. And, but I mean, I don't know. It was just very strange to run a three, two zone when Iowa state was going to consistently be running four out on the perimeter. So just drive in, somebody would be open. It was that easy. Yeah. Yeah, that, that moves us to one and three in conference play. The good news is, is that we get a knock on wood at what is a relative reprieve, and that is Texas Tech at home. And then we face Baylor and Waco. So uh that will probably be <laughs> yeah, we do get TCU at home here in uh about a week. Yeah. Uh that actually will be a reprieve because TC was awful. If we lose that game, no uh, alarm bells. Then like, I, I don't want to say burn down Bramlage because the men's team also uses Bramlage, so <laughs> that probably isn't a good idea. But burn something symbolic down, I guess, like on a like like a tree or something. <laughs> That's a sign of protest. <laughs> Get like a little sapling and just like yeah. set it like twenty yards from the entrance and just like I don't know. With like a firecracker in it or something. Yeah. Or just get like the I am upset sign guy to like come to the game and just have him hold an I am upset sign because like, yeah, that, that would be a bad loss, but tough stretch that we're on right now. Two straight losses, uh, a particularly uninspiring loss to uh, Texas and then dropping a game you shouldn't against West Virginia, then really not playing as well as the, as the score suggests against uh, Iowa state. Uh, Oklahoma State's a decent win. They're a better team than they were last year, but that's not saying man. much. Yeah, no, I'm not saying a lot. They were pretty bad last year, but yeah, we'll see. Texas Tech, I think, has probably improved because they were on an upswing last year, but um, I'm not 100 percent sure. Uh, I don't know. This this team has a lot of work to do, and it's clear that Aoka Lee is desperately needed on this squad. Uh, they just need to have a, a solid inside presence. Uh, hopefully, Gabby Gregory is back next year, though, with uh, Aoka Lee. So I think that team could actually really do some damage. Yeah, that could they could do some damage, plus uh, the underrated bit of Giselle Sanchez coming back as well. That's true. So uh, a, a lot to like there. Um, but I don't know. A lot of the same complaints as last year, just this team is so inconsistent shooting the ball. And we need to find some consistency there. But will we? I, I'm not optimistic. Yeah. 
So that is the actual news segment. Now we can go into everyone's favorite, the wacky segment of the week. But we have the wacky news segment of the week, first and foremost. And that is, I, I guess you could kind of qualify this as the Oklahoma State like saga, just because they've had a lot of weird enter entries into the transfer portal. Spencer Sanders seemingly implying a lot of things, like either him not being welcomed back or that the entirety of the operation was a clown show, which is a very weird thing for Spencer Sanders to be saying. But I think the the thing that kind of takes the cake is Derek Mason leaving Oklahoma State. The, he was the defensive coordinator at Oklahoma State. He is leaving Oklahoma State not for personal reasons, not because he got fired, not even because he led a particularly bad defense. No, he is leaving for a sabbatical. Which, you know, good for him, you know, do do whatever life takes you to do. But you have to admit that that as like the chaser to everything else that Oklahoma State has been experiencing is very funny. <laughs> Such a weird situation, Stillwater. Oklahoma State is about to have their worst season in modern history, I think. I think everybody sees it coming at this point. Like, I think they're going to miss a bowl and Mike Gundy's going to get retired, fired. And I I don't think it's going to be pretty. Um, but yeah, they've had a lot of weird portal entries. The John Paul Richardson just committed to like TCU, <laughs> which yeah. is so weird. Uh, they lost a, a Dominic Richardson uh, as well. He went to Power Five. Uh, Spencer Sanders uh, is off elsewhere. They, uh, there, there was a video posted today of a, taller into a uh, serious XM show uh, saying that Spencer Sanders left Oklahoma state because he wanted to grad transfer and like explore other opportunities. Um, and then he like tried to come back partway through bowl practice and they turned him down. Then like they were saying that he did afterwards as well, but they also turned him down. But then Spencer Sanders refuted that whole situation is really weird. And at this point, I, I don't really know who to believe because honestly, I don't think either party's reliable. <laughs> like, no, <laughs> like, like I don't, I think Spencer Sanders, of course, is going to like, he's going to be incentivized to like tell pretty rosy side of the story for him. But I don't really think my gun is a reliable narrator either. So I, I don't really know what to believe here. This I think narrative the most... trope is called the unreliable narrator. It sows <laughs> discontent and confusion within the reader. That it does. <laughs> I my Gundy's been sowing discontent and confusion in me for a while now with his personal choices. But and then this whole saga is not helping. They've been losing a lot of guys. I thought they had Brennan Armstrong, but they do not. And now they just have Alan Bowman as their quarterback for next year, which he peaked as like a freshman at Texas Tech like four years ago. Like that suboptimal, I think. Uh, for for Oklahoma State, I, I feel like this team is going to be reminiscent of the like Jet Duffy years or the Jet Duffy like games for Texas Tech. Ace, I don't even know if you know who that is. I don't. But that was the uh, he was the quarterback when K State held Texas Tech under 200 yards, and we oh. beat them like 20 to six in an absolutely disgusting game that was super cold uh, in Bill Snyder's final season, and it was really bad. And the whole game sucked, and it ended up not mattering because both those teams missed bowl games, and Cliff Kingsbury got fired. But <laughs> neither here nor there. I 
I I don't see a particularly rosy outlook for Oklahoma State next year. And this whole Derek Mason thing is just so weird, so fascinating. And it's just the cherry on top I, at this point, honestly, of a very tumultuous and odd offseason for the, the Cowboys in Stillwater. What else do you have to say about this? Because I've run out of things to say. It's just wacky. <laughs> it is wacky. What is what an odd thing? I mean, good for Derek Mason, I guess, getting out while he could. Maybe think of a better excuse, but like, it, maybe that's just like a legit reason. Yeah. But who knows? I guess so. It could be, but um, I do know that he was only on a one-year deal to be a defensive coordinator, so he probably wasn't coming back regardless. It was just a stopgap, but it's weird for him to word it like a sabbatical, yeah. and. Because I don't think that's particular. That's a particularly good outlook for Oklahoma State. Now they have to go find another DC, and I don't know if they've already hired one or not. But Jim I mean, comes back. <laughs> that would be great for them. <laughs> My outlook of their season next year would change drastically if Jim Knowles came back. Because I that man could probably whip that defense into shape and get they could that defense could single handedly take Oklahoma State to a bowl game if Jim Knowles was the coordinator. But, probably. Unlikely that he would return. <laughs> I don't think he wants to hop on a sinking ship. No. But yeah, that's the wacky news segment. The The wacky question segment is, if you could pick which K-State sports got the loudest crowd in the country every single home game, which sport would you choose? Well, I wrangled with this for a while. Uh, definitely men's golf, but... <laughs> No, I'm joking. You don't you have just home men's golf. <laughs> sure, they do. They have tournaments. Yeah, you could just Where go and like play? Colbert. Oh, I guess that's fair. Yeah, there's actually a lot of golf courses in Manhattan. There's like five. I'm not a golfer. I just know that. But they, uh, I, I, I think there's not many sports that you can choose to have like a really loud crowd. I mean, there's like football, men's basketball, women's basketball, volleyball. I guess he could throw baseball in there as well, but there's not much else. I said tennis earlier as a joke before we started recording, but <laughs> you're actually not supposed to be allowed during that. So everybody would just get like banned. So that wouldn't be good. Rowing as you could like travel to rowing meets and you're rowing alongside them with like a megaphone. Yeah. And I just like trying to like throw off the rowers of the other schools. I think that'd be pretty funny, but I, I think I want to roll men's basketball because I think crowd noise has the biggest effect in basketball and i i really want to say football but i feel like it has less of an effect uh at least it's it's not as often it has an effect so i'm going to say men's basketball just because i think that it has a really big effect and i really want this team to be successful and i think there's already a lot of juice uh behind uh the tang gang i want us to get the i want us to earn the octagon of doom moniker returning uh, in full force so uh, that, that's my answer yeah if you want my my answer because i think it'd be funny the answer is baseball because i can only imagine just like leaving every base like well, normally baseball is you know a pretty chill sport unless you're in like the major league playoffs but <laughs> i can only imagine leaving every single baseball game with like my ears ringing because we're just so loud like the yeah, entire just, like, game 
yeah, like turning up to like class or work the next day and like you're you're like you've like lost your voice and they're like, oh, you like you sick? Like, no, I was at a baseball game. <laughs> was that a baseball game? Loudest heckler of all time. But... Loudest heckler of all time. Hi, Jared, please. <laughs> Hi, ben, man. Also, thank you for reminding me of his name because I was trying to tell somebody about that, but I couldn't remember his name. <laughs> it was Jared. Jared. Yeah. Jared. <laughs> That poor guy. They moved him to left field the next day because of that. <laughs> this is the last game of the season. He spent two games in right field. The last game he was in left field. We kept doing like the re- new right fielder was like, we want, we kept screaming, we want Jared back. <laughs> that poor guy. Hey, state baseball crowds are ruthless, man. <laughs> yeah. Uh, at least there's like five students that are ruthless, but <laughs> yeah. And normally I'm one of them. Like, I'll, I, I'll always forget that your your ERA is big enough to drink and you're trying to hit people. Uh, you drew like some like crowd laughs at times. Like I like like he got some like full crowd laughter at times. It was like a laugh track. But my life uh, is a sitcom. K State baseball with a solid crowd is actually super fun. Oh like, it is. Like I went to last year, I remember everybody on the face of the earth that I knew was busy. So I just went to one of our games versus, I think it was like UC Irvine. It was, it was like a bark at the park day, I think. And like, the so dogs were there and stuff. And it was right, just like, I was really... on vacation. this day. Like yeah. I was on vacation this game. I think you were. Yeah. And it was super, super nice out. And I just like went by myself and it was just a fantastic day. Cause it's not a huge ballpark, but it's like pretty nice. Sure. And like, like there were, there was like enough room that I just like went and sat like on the chair backs, like uh, uh, right down first baseline. Super fun. Honestly, it's, it's like worth going to a few games and they normally have something going on, like some sort of promotion. If you're a student, you should definitely go because they're free and they normally, free. they normally give you things as well just for showing up. <laughs> yeah, if, if you're like the only student there, like they, unless you are like actively being a menace to society, such as myself, you're going to get on the Jumbotron for like one of the games. Yeah. And the reason I don't get on Jumbo Trine is because they hear me heckling and like, they, they don't <laughs> want to encourage that behavior. But, the only thing I wish is that I would have been able to get on like one of those uh, like question things that they do like mm-hmm. during the game, like where you like get a prize pack if you like get it right. I never got on one of those and I went to so many baseball games, especially last year. I went to a majority of the home games just because I I was like, I, I've missed out on a lot of okay baseball, so I'd like to really go out on a high note. Although we we saw some entertaining baseball because we didn't have to go on the road and watch us on the road. True. KSA baseball at home is very fun. Which which is, uh, that's coming up soon. But my serious yeah. answer for the loudest crowd question is actually going to be football. Just because I like football more. And also, I think it's like... The the feeling of being in a loud football environment is unmatched to me. But we, to kind of cut off the the baseball talk for I don't know maybe two weeks when we do the baseball preview. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. The uh, season starts in thirty five days from time of recording. Yeah, so you get to see such stars as Nick Goodwin, Jackson Wentworth, if he's alive. <laughs> I hope so. Uh, Kalen Culpepper, who's probably the most underrated athlete at K-State. Yeah, Kalen, Kalen Culpepper is a fantastic player. And I, I hope that he gets more recognition because he is really, really good. Yeah. So I, I, I'm, I'm hopeful. Yep. But 
If there's nothing else, that pretty much wraps up this episode of the Aggieville Alley Cats podcast. Thank you all so much for listening. If you want to contact or follow the show, you can follow us on Twitter at Aggieville Acats. That's capital A, capital A, and capital C and cats. If you want to contact the show, you can email us at Aggieville, wait, Aggieville Alley Cats at gmail.com. If you want to follow us on a more personal note, I am at ASC Edwards 00. I am at Connor Bounces or capital C, capital B. And if you want to support the show financially, please be sure to check out the official Aggieville Alley Cats merch store, where you can find such designs as the staff-approved Doom Tang Clan, Play Sandstorm Cowards, and Neon Alley Cats. But most importantly, thank you all for listening to this episode of the Aggieville Alley Cats podcast. Where come rain, shine, or anything in between, we're here to deliver to you the Kansas State sporting news that you so love. Stay safe, Alley Cats.